Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly haunt news roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Abu Dhabi, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. And last episode, we talked all about the new plans from Universal. So this week, let's switch it to the opposite, and let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, here, let's, we'll shift our focus to the other behemoth in the theme park industry. And uh, yeah, there's, so there are some, there are some tweaks, there are some changes, there are some new things coming up. But since we always like to focus on the business side, um, it appears Mm -hmm. as though Walt Mm -hmm. Disney CEO Robert Iger has told employees that they will be expected to return to the office for four days a week beginning March 1st. Now, it's interesting because four days a week to me used to be like, oh, it's a short week. But now post pandemic, four days a week is like, oh, I got to be there a whole four days, huh? Um, this is one of the stricter policies announced by uh, the lar- by large companies in the United States, as others have favored three day uh, three days a week of in office work. Um, so, I, I don't know what's your what's your vibe on this, Philip? I mean, you run a company, I don't. I, I'm my employees. I, I'm in my office wherever I have my laptop. So, uh, how do you feel about this mm-hmm. approach? Well. I just think uh, it's kind of funny to look at it in context. Now, I do say it personally, I think it makes sense <laughs> uh, because we we have done actually brain work, brainstorming masterclasses, Scott and I have. And, you know, Scott, you've taught brainstorming for so long and you've taught improv and all that. Those are the things that I think you need in person you need staff in person to brainstorm and to be creative because you're more creative in person when you can bounce ideas off each other and even just those random occurrences of water cooler talk and whatnot. So I think in the context of are there employees that need to employ creative decision-making with other employees, I think that's that's when you would want them to be in a room together. Um, it may not make as much sense for people in non roles, non-creative roles or in, in different types of roles, but I would still argue that it helps communication and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there is some benefit to allowing remote, which is one day, but, uh, I think it's, <laughs> it's a little bit of like, also, I, I think on the culture too, because Yes, some some employees are more productive with that extra time, but you know, there's a lot of stuff recently coming out about the loneliness epidemic and how if it's just a lone employee without a family, without pets or whatnot, they're actually they sometimes are less productive because they're more lonely and they don't have that office vibe. And so I think I think all of that is um is in play. But overall I think it's I, I actually think it's a good idea. I just think that in the context of the situations, it's kind of funny because you have on one hand Universal saying we're essentially building two, one theme park and one 
something the size of a theme park that's an immersive horror experience. And then meanwhile, Disney is like, we're making people go back to work. <laughs> and then, and then, and, and there's a few other things that, you know, that, that are coming up for Disney, but you know, that's. Well, no, it's, it's funny because I'm really glad to hear you say that because again, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be presumptuous since I have no staff of my own. I am part of, you know, when I subcontract, I'm part of mm-hmm. other staffs and on the project that I'm working now, for example, um, we have, we're actually five days a week on site and it may go to six. Um, but it, of course this is for a short period of time. This is not an, an ongoing, uh, process, but I am a firm believer that what, what you just said is that when we, when we gather together into a commonality or a common space, that not only is it easier to communicate, you know, everyone says, oh, it's so much more efficient to communicate via, via Zoom or Skype or, or, or email. Well, before we started recording this episode, Philip and I um, had Skype recording trauma um, because of, of internet. You may notice that Philip is not in his normal location. So that's because we had to, he had to find a mm-hmm. place where he could actually get through. So you really can't say that electronic communication is, is the most effective. And especially, as you brought up, when you're trying to come up with new ideas, new plans, and new executions, it's best to do it face-to-face. I, I really do... I really do believe that. And I know that there are people who are going to listen to this and say, that's so old-fashioned in the way that you're thinking. Well, if you have to communicate with people on opposite continents, like this show right now, um, then yes, use the technology. Mm-hmm. But if you have the option to be in the same room and and integrate your, your thoughts with facial expressions and um, just being in the same space, sometimes from a creative standpoint really is beneficial. You know, one of the things I always tell my clients, it's like, I will, I am much better at creating for you if I can do a site survey. And believe me, there are times that I don't want to travel. Um, But if I can get on site, if I can um, see, you know, get a, and I don't want to get too esoteric, but if I can get kind of a vibe for the space, it is so much easier than me Mm -hmm. looking at a map or me looking at a ground plan and having to come up with something creative from there. Because I will always misinterpret something or miss something. So there is something to be said with sharing the space with people um, when you're when you're trying to problem solve or, at, you know, as you mentioned, you know, water cooler talk. Um, just the idea of, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Or you overhear something or it sparks another conversation. Going back a thousand years when I was um, working on the creation, the beginnings of the Hollow Scream event at Busch Gardens in Tampa, we actually believed it. The, the team of three that created that event, uh, or created the, the core of that event, um, we actually believed that space was so important that in our offices, if we had a new idea, we had these giant post-its, you know, the great big uh, tear-off sheets, mm. and we would actually post it in the space where we had the idea and started to take notes. So as you walk through our offices, you'd see these big random, because sometimes they were in the hallway, sometimes they were in the um, the reception area, sometimes they were in one of our offices, but you see these, you know, big spreadsheet or um, flip chart pages stuck to the wall with ideas about certain things, because we honestly believed that the space helped promote the idea. So <clears throat> I am all for um, any organization that says you need to be present in the same location at the same time at some point in time and during the week. I realize that, that uh, you know, technologically being present is, is fine for certain types of work, 
But if you're doing anything creative or you're trying to problem solve, being in the same space, I think, is essential. So, you know, I, I, I support Disney's uh, four-day-a-week policy. For whatever that well, matters. I, I think, uh, Who cares? Also you know, they're, not watching, they're not watching the show going, <laughs> boy, I hope Scott approves. But, you know. Well, stepping back, it's also kind of in, indicative of just a, a larger conversation about kind of the, the Disney changes. And I, I think that's also what I want to draw attention to when we're looking at comparing what, what some of these firms are doing. Because, of course, Iger just came back. And, of course, he also is restructuring Disney's media and entertainment division, which we had talked about way back when they first did the, the more recent structure and talked a little bit about basically them prioritizing streaming and et cetera, et cetera. And that's why they were, they're restructuring. So he's restructuring it again. Uh, and it just seems like all these changes are really trying to make them competitive again, which I know a lot of people would argue that they're, that, that they are competitive, but I'm just saying, look at, looking in the comparison of what was the big news. The big news is, you know, Universal's these huge projects that no one talked about in these markets. And, and on top of that, Epic Universe proceeding as planned on schedule right and then meanwhile what do we we did get a date for tron for april 4th 2023 that's coming up but how long has that been out there you know it's like it's like one of those things where it's almost the really in many ways almost the opposite right there's a new theme park that was built in the time that tron was announced before it even opened and 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 also people knew about it. Everybody knew about it. And here we are. They've building a whole new epic universe, but then also adding these things that nobody knew about. So there's just uh, – if you look all together, I think that there's there's some other signs. Other, si other announcements too, of course, January 27th, we'll see Mickey and Minnie Runaway Railway, which another project that's been out there for quite a long time. And Harmonious, which is which was the new show at Epcot, is closing in – after not even a year of a run and the barges are being completely removed and may or may not return. And of course the, there's more changes with pass holder reservation system over at Disney world. They're, they're trying to allow pass holders to park hop, but it's complicated because you can't park hop to magic kingdom on the weekends. <laughs> you can only park hop after two during the weekday. So it's like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff. And then to kind of top everything off for the Disney section, there was a, on record roundtable that happened this week and it select Disney media was invited. I, I gather there was about 12 of different outlets when they were the big outlets, right? And we're going to, I'm going to read just a few excerpts from the attractions magazine summary of it. Let me just say, it didn't sound like very much was said and it was only like 45 minutes. And it's like they asked the questions that we've all been asking about the topics that we're all thinking about, but uh, they didn't really get too many answers, but, but at least it happened. So Josh Tomorrow, the of course, the chairman of Disney Parks, said their objective is to have all the entertainment that used to be at the parks return, plus more, although he didn't say specifically which ones by name, because of course we know some of them have been retired permanently, i.e. Harmonious, which we just talked about, right? Um, he, they also said that the park reservation system <laughs> keeps the parks from getting overwhelmed and provides a better visit for guests I mean, I think I would say like some guests on there, but he said that they're always looking for ways to make the reservations easier and finding better ways to handle them and park hopping, et cetera, et cetera. And that all projects are proceeding, you know, kind of as, as planned. So what do you think, Scott, are we reading too much into this or does this kind of seem like, uh, 
because I would argue that it seems like Disney's kind of been caught a little bit flat-footed in this and suddenly it would have the appearance of suddenly Universal kind of leaping ahead and now there need there's this reorganization to start kind of correcting the 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 ship back to brainstorming properly meeting properly et cetera et cetera well I think I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's we've created the illusion of or or it appears as though yeah. um, Universal has um, yeah. gone leaps ahead because even when we were talking about the Universal projects we said these have been announced with no dates. Um, you know, and that is happening mm-hmm. everywhere. We're talking a lot when you when you mentioned Tron. Um, we've known that that's been coming for a very long time. And I think what happened is during the pandemic, these parks had to keep saying new things were coming, even though everything had stopped. I mean, pretty much the whole world was on was on hold, and um, especially the attractions industry because they weren't generating revenue. People weren't coming. So what they would do is they'd get longer and longer lead times for these announcements which is great. It's very exciting. It doesn't really change the planning structure. Theme parks plan things very, very far in advance. Um, So that's nothing new. They just don't announce them until they're fully baked or at least they've started to be be constructed. Um, Because of this need to constantly look like, create the appearance that you are ahead of the game and are ahead of your competition, we've been getting longer and longer lead times. So it's... I think the important thing to recognize is based on these announcements and these, you know, getting caught flat-footed trying to make that statement that will keep people interested in the Disney brand or the Disney Parks brand, um, it, that's that's probably accurate. Uh, but I don't know whether in reality it really is that much different. I mean, what they're doing is they're they're buttoning up. What Disney is saying is, here are some dates. What Universal was saying is, here are some plans that we will announce more details on later. So when it comes yeah. down to the the tires hitting the pavement, um, Disney's responses or Disney's announcements are significantly more, well, significant, I guess, um, because they're telling us, here's when this thing is going to happen. Granted, they've been talking about it for a long time. I get that. So I, I think we're, I think we're going to go back and forth. So to answer your question, are we reading too much into it? I think we, I, I don't know whether we're reading too much into it. I think what we just have to recognize is Let's look at what is really being said here. You know, um, I, I am thrilled mm-hmm. that Universal is confident enough to make these statements that they are doing these two grand, well, three if you include Epic, um, grand expansions, yeah. and they're doing even more expansions and even more expansions. And Epic is, is you know, well-baked and, and underway. But I would venture to say that there has been zero ground broken on either of the other two projects that they've announced. And... Um, so, and I don't know that, but I would guess they're just trying to get ahead of the media game. They're trying to make people, they're trying to build anticipation. What I'm curious about is how far out is too far? How far out is, um, you know, say, say you announce something two years out and, or three years out or five years out. And by the time it actually rolls around, is it, has the news cycle passed? I don't know the answer to that. So I think that's something we need to keep an eye on. Um, Disney, apparently, based on based on these announcements, um, not necessarily the roundtable, but the, the announcements with the dates, they're, they're tying into a short news cycle. You know, they're saying April 4th and January 27th. And, you know, they're, they're giving us some things that are actionable yeah. within, our, <laughs> within our lifetimes. Um, but, but some of the other more vague statements <clears throat> aren't necessarily actionable. And to be fair... 
having installed many, many things in theme parks, um, both as a consultant and as someone who works in a park, I know that schedules expand and contract for the stupidest and most unexpected reasons. So um, I, I'm just, I'm just, I just don't want us to read too much into any of these announcements and the fact that you know either one of the the big boys in the in the industry um, or big people in the industry um, is is necessarily ahead or behind of one another. I think it's the way they're handling their media and handling the attention of their potential guests that is really the interesting thing to watch. Hmm. Interesting. That That's an interesting frame to look at it. And in that way, it that way it, it's also marking a big change because that roundtable session, they have done them before, but they have not allowed them to be on the record. So there is a little bit of a change to your point in just how they are even conducting that type of media. Like it's like we are making the effort to sit down <laughs> with people and we're allowing it to be on the record, not recorded, but allowed the reporters to take notes and to say that they had went to it, which is, uh, like I said, very different. An, a few other points of just facts I have uh, – the for Tron, it was announced in 2017, and then of course 2023 will be the release. So about six years. Epic Universe was announced in 2019, and will open in 2025. So six year time cycles. You get Tron, or you get a theme park, just in terms of time cycles on that. And a listener did write in. Um, I'm gonna just keep them anonymous for now, in case um, I'm not sure. Later on, we'll if 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 they say it's okay, we'll get their name. But did write in and say they're ten minutes away from the one in Texas, and that construct like the physical construction hasn't started in terms of groundbreaking type of thing. But that before they do that, they have to kind of fix fix the nearby highway and get the infrastructure in place, and they are doing that. Mm -hmm. That is in like that's actively in process. So there is work already starting to prepare the infrastructure for for that that area so and that i thought that was very interesting because we just we just said it could be forever out well they're out, they're already preparing the infrastructure which was a big surprise to me i was very surprised that they were already at the stage where they were preparing infrastructure yeah i like i said i think the battle is not necessary i think the battles between certainly disney and universal is not necessarily in the parks i think it's in the media um, I think it is not necessarily yeah. the, the product. I think it is the perception. So um, so they're going to continue to battle that out. But again, I, I hate to blame everything on, on the pandemic, but I think that's a two-year gap in time that we're all still kind of reeling from. And I think that's what's sort mm -hmm. of created this. Not to say, I mean, as you pointed out, Philip, that these announcements came out pre-pandemic, but I think it's become more important now. Yeah. Um, to keep the product in the public eye um, than it ever was before. And I think they're still hanging on to that idea. You know, uh, it's interesting because I have a very different perspective now that I am not in, you know, being in Florida, Universal and Disney are arm wrestling all the time for our attention. Um, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's constantly back mm -hmm. and forth. And the Universal team, they actually had, uh, you know, at one point in time had, had, giant posters on their wall, um, when do we beat Disney? When do we become number one? You know, that was their target. And if they have it already, they're getting darn close as far as a, a park, as far as parks go. Um, and I'm not sure what, I you know, agree. they're, what they're, how they're measuring the, 
best or beating or whatever. Um, but you know they're 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 doing they're doing great stuff. Um, but that's not to say that Disney isn't. It's just we just have to make sure that we take a half step back when we read these things and go, okay, what does this really mean? Um, and being and now being in a location that doesn't have either present and has another you know um, <clears throat> another controlling company when it comes to uh, the theme parks in this part of the world, other controlling companies and governments in this part of the world. Um, it's interesting to see that some of the same battles are taking place, but they're not just about Disney and, mm -hmm. and Universal. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that they are the, the big boys or the big people, the big girls um, in, uh, in the industry. What I think we're seeing is they, they may not necessarily maintain that title worldwide. They certainly are in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that, that's a good segue. Uh, looking at the, the broader perspective, let's talk about Chinese New Year. So the Chinese New Year is on January 22nd, which is uh, the, the day Scott's recording and tomorrow for me. And this is, it's a, of course, we've talked about this. We talked about it last year. I think we did a kind of a show special on it. Um, it's a pretty big deal. It's an enormous deal. It's, it is kind of the, the big, it is the like the big holiday uh, in China and for most of the Asia does it, call it different things in different ways. You know, it, it kind of translates around in different cultures, but it's, it's the time for travel and tourism and the time for everything to happen. And I thought it'd be interesting to look at how the different theme parks are celebrating. <laughs> and uh, it's just very interesting because we almost have I would argue that we have a more robust celebration in the U.S. this time than even uh, in in Asia. So it's it's, and I'm I'm curious as to maybe that's a um, that's a just reopening type of thing that we talked about. Of course, that too reopening. So so here here in the uh, here let's see in, in Hong Kong there's there's a celebration that's happening through February, and it's really. It's really just characters and food, though, really. And uh, there is Shanghai Disney is also doing a celebration through February as well. Uh, it is a little bit more than characters and food. Uh, there's some lanterns and there's some, you know, some character stuff. There's some red envelope type of stuff going on, but it's not a, a huge celebration uh, in that way. Uh, here in the U.S., Hollywood, Universal Studios Hollywood, is only offering a special food menu item. They didn't bring back some of their other Chinese New Year celebrations, which they have done in the past. So they actually scaled the, or kept it scaled down, scaled it down, which was interesting. And at Disneyland, it is, uh, I was just there yesterday and it was quite the celebration. There was a longer processional this year. You know, Mulan has a little mini, eh, kind of like a larger than a cavalcade, but smaller than a parade, <laughs> which is called a processional apparently. <laughs> and it does have a, it, it has, it has, it, what I like about it is that it has traditional, it has the, the lion dance. It, it has, it has the, uh, the kind of the Chinese dragon dancers as well as the individual lion dancers. So, and it has the ribbon dances. It has a lot of the traditional, traditional in it. And then of course, Mulan is there, of course, and there's, uh, there's characters and whatnot, but it's longer than it has been previously uh, ever before. There's two live rotating bands that are cultural. So there's there's a traditional Chinese string instrument um, 
triplet that's up there, which is which is interesting. They have, of course, they have the food cards again. They have a wishing tree. They have a live calligraphy. They have meeting group four rotating characters, and they also have a tag they've put on the world of color that has the rabbit for year of the rabbit and has uh, fireworks in it. So it's quite a robust festival for kind of being in the U.S. And then, of course, San Francisco has announced that they're bringing back their parade for the first time in several years. And that is the longer, the, the largest parade in the U.S. is the one in, in San Francisco. They have, they, it, it's a, it's a big deal. And they brought it back this year for the first time in a, as a large in-person experience. But they do also a month-long celebration in San Francisco where they make giant rabbits and they put them around the city and they have different days of different themes. So it, it's, it's a, it's just interesting to kind of see how these are going around. Scott, why do you think that we've kind of seen a step back in celebrating at some parks, but an expansion at Disneyland and in San Francisco? Well, my first question is, I, I would assume, it's not even a question, it's an assumption. My assumption is that the reason for that is in California, there is a larger um, Chinese audience. The, I don't know that, but I, I would imagine that the reason they're doing that is because it appeals to a, a Chinese population primarily, and then if, I mean, let's face it, San Francisco has one of the largest Chinatowns that I know of. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I also think that in California, not only does it appeal to the Chinese audience, but I think a secondary appeal is to those people who want to make sure that we are being culturally inclusive. And the, those, those yeah. folks who are saying, you know, let's, let's celebrate the celebrations worldwide. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, so I, I, and, and, and as far as I can't speak to why, you know, um, why Hong Kong Disneyland is, is curtail, not curtailing, but hanging on to what they've got. Um, I mean, I will say I was just at, I was yeah. just at Warner Brothers World here in Abu Dhabi yesterday and um, they have lanterns up in the, in the main area and they have, um, I did not see any, any culinary additions in the gift shop though they have a, uh, a Lunar New Year shopping bag, which for Warner Brothers World, mm -hmm. you would think, considering what year it is, that it would focus on bugs. It does not. Yeah. Um, it focuses on Tom and Jerry, <laughs> which is really weird to me. But um, but maybe they use that so that they could use it for Lunar New Year's to come. I don't know. But there is, so there is a merchandise opportunity um, here. And... Uh, and there is, you know, there is a recognizable Chinese population in, in the Emirates as well. So um, mm -hmm. it, it makes sense that they would at least have a nod to it. I was also at Ferrari World yesterday, and they did not have any recognition of, uh, of Lunar New Year that I saw. So um, I think it is something, you know, the, the California parks have always been very good at uh, – expanding those things that they celebrate and being inclusive with, with cultural sensitivity. So I think that's why we're seeing that in the, in the California parks versus all of the parks, you know, worldwide. Um, I think it's, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, in, in, in Warner brothers world, they put lanterns on all of the, on all of the uh, lampposts. Um, I will go over to see if they've added anything else today. I don't know. Um, but uh, but yeah, I just thought it was odd that this being the year of the rabbit, m my year, by the yeah. way, just saying, I'm a year of the rabbit. Um, it, it, the uh, I, I'm surprised that they don't utilize 
they don't do a cross branding of their most popular rabbit uh, with the the year of the rabbit. But anyway, so that's that's kind of what I've seen yeah, here. Yeah. I, I think it really comes down to what the population is, what the the ethnic mix uh, or the cultural mix of the area is, and um, how much it's going to appeal to those people, and maybe more so appeal to those people who are not necessarily Chinese, but want to make certain that we remain inclusive um, across the board when it comes to our celebrations. Yeah. I think it's a staffing thing, but you know, I don't know. I don't, I mean, yeah, you're right. And you may, you may be absolutely right. I think it's staffing because they just hired 600 people just talked about that. And then, you know, Shanghai has been opening, reopen, open, reopen. Right. I, th I just think it's more of a recovery type of thing. And potentially they're, they're trying to potentially they don't need it as in like, it's like, we're about to see revenge tourism on a scale that we have not seen in Asia in, in, in many years, you know, because this is the biggest, it's not, and, and also in, in California and just around the lunar thing. And it's not just a Chinese and it's not just Chinese celebrations here in the, in the U S either, but, um, you know, all kind of everybody, you know, looking at the numbers for Hong Kong, for example, they said this week they expect 14% of everybody that enters the state in the next month to be from China. <laughs> like, wow. like everybody, like that, that amount of, uh, of, of just foot traffic. And they were doing a campaign for, for, uh, for Hong Kongers to say that, uh, you can get a visa for travel easier than getting a library card. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it may be a thing where they don't need it, uh, and 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 also staffing. But but uh, speaking of Ferrari World, they opened a new coaster, and you were there for it. Tell us about that. So I've actually uh, the new coaster um, is called uh, Mission Ferrari. It is kind of a mm -hmm. coaster. You know, we talk about long lead. We've been talking about long lead stories. This is definitely this definitely was a long yeah. lead story. Um, <laughs> It's. I call it the brand new coaster that's ten years old. Uh, they've they've been they've been tweaking and and massaging and and you know working it out, working out all the details. You know, let's just call it test track Abu Dhabi, shall we? Um, the 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 whole idea is that this coaster has every piece of ride technology in it that I've ever seen in a roller coaster. Um, there is it is a, a launch system. It is basically a story coaster. So you um, are the story is that you're taking a a Ferrari uh, proto spy, a spy prototype of a Ferrari, and you have to transport it with all of its bells and whistles, and it goes under. It can go underwater, and it can freeze, and it can it, it can disappear, and it has shields, and it has guns, all the you know spy stuff. Mm. And uh, your the, your mission, quote unquote, is to take it from Abu Dhabi to um, the factories in Italy. So um, it starts off as a launch coaster. But there's video throughout. Um, there is, at one point, the track, uh, you come to the end of a track, it becomes a motion simulator ride uh, with uh, a video dome surrounding it. And then that becomes a backwards coaster. So you come onto the motion simulator and go then backwards through much of it. Um, you're constantly being attacked by Viper, which is the, the bad guys and their, their helicopters all in green. You know, Ferrari, of course, is everything good is red, everything bad is green. Um, and uh, <laughs> so you're attacked by these helicopters. And then it, um, it has a little bit of another uh, motion, small motion simulator stop. And then you do something that I've personally not experienced, and that is a side drop. So the car drops to the side and, and, and slides down, which is, is very interesting. It's, it's unique. Um, 
So think of it like Hagrid without fantasy. Um, you know, it's it's much more of a, mm. a spy version of, say, a Hagrid coaster. Uh, it's a lot of fun. <clears throat> because it has been so long in development, there are some elements that I think have been improved upon since its original inception. But it is definitely worth the ride and an awful lot of fun at Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi. So, that's First announced in 2014. Right, no, not 14. Sorry, 2004. Yeah. No, sorry, 2014. 14. I was right yeah, it's 10 time. years. For 2014. It's been 10 years. Yeah. Ish. Ten, nine, yeah, 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 ish. Ish. So, um, so anyway, <laughs> if, you, if you're in Abu Dhabi. Um, a, a plus. Yeah, if you're in Abu Dhabi, uh, check it out. It's fun. It's fun. Uh, I still think, you know, and, I, and I've ridden all the, all the coasters now at, uh, at Ferrari World, and I, and I still think Flying Aces is the best, but that's my own personal preference. Um, it's it's that that park is very unique in the fact that there is a lot of people think there's not a lot for a whole family to do, but that's not true. Um, they have a lot of really fun dark rides for kids. They have a lot of uh, play areas for kids that are really like high energy. Um, get them worn out so they'll sleep overnight. Uh, and then of course you know Formula Rosa, which is world's fastest roller coaster, is is goes at brownout speed. So lots of fun. It's a good good park. Good park and all indoors, so that's very nice. And connected to the world's, you know, one of the uh, just gigantic mall, not world's biggest, but a gigantic mall. So it's a, a day of entertainment. Well, we've gone over because I just started rambling. So um, this is another week here at Green Tag Theme Park in 30. We're really glad that you either watch or listen. Thank you so much. Please continue to tell your friends as we want our listenership and our viewership to continue to grow. On behalf of Philip Hernandez from Gantam Lighting and myself, Scott Swenson, thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network. <laughs>